Romans chapter 14. We, um, we've looked thus far up to uh, verse 12. So we've looked at Romans uh, 14, 1 to 12. And today we're going to finish the rest of Romans 14. So from verses 13 to 23. And I'm probably going to go a little bit into uh, Romans 15 as well. So let me, uh, let me begin reading for us at verse 13 of Romans 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time that we can gather and to worship you and and Lord, we give you thanks for even just the property that we have uh, to be able to do this um, outside as I know many churches can't even do this. So we give you thanks for this. And Lord, as we look to your word now, we pray that by your spirit, you would encourage us as um, we just read in Romans 14, the scriptures are there to encourage us, but that you would also convict us, rebuke us if need be, deepen our faith. Um, Lord, I pray that each of us would have a deeper desire to live a life conformed to Christ and His will. And we pray that here this morning, Christ would be honored in our midst. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've, probably, um, you've probably heard the famous poem that goes like this. Believe as I believe. No more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think, eat what I eat and drink what I drink, 
look as I look, do always as I do, then, and only then, will I fellowship with you. I don't know who wrote that poem, but I thought it was timely for Romans 14. So, the reality is, whether we want to admit it or not, um, we can sometimes fall into the same way of thinking. That unless someone agrees with me on every issue and every matter, and unless they live the same way, practice the same things, or they look the same as me, I won't have fellowship with them. In other words, you can't really have unity unless you have uniformity. That's the way the world thinks. That in order to have unity, you have to have uniformity. But in Romans 14, Paul has demonstrated that God's way to unity isn't uniformity. There's a way to have unity in the midst of diversity. The immediate context of, of Romans 14 is, is within the context of diversity. Diversity of convictions and opinions over disputable matters and issues. The Roman church was fighting over what one should eat or not eat, or whether one should keep the Sabbath or not keep the Sabbath. And Paul's solution isn't that they all need to come to an agreement on these issues. Rather, in verses 1 to 4, Paul's solution is for the stronger Christian to not despise the weaker Christian. That is, the one whose conscience binds them, who doesn't allow them to participate in certain disputable issues, that, that there's much freedom to do so. But not only that, Paul says, don't judge your stronger brother. That is the one who feels far more freedom when it comes to disputable issues. So we're not to despise or judge, but rather we are to welcome him or her as God has welcomed each of us in Christ. Not only that, in verses 5 to 12, Paul argues that both the weaker and the stronger Christian are seeking to honor Christ and live under his lordship. And therefore, we we ought to assume the best of one another and we ought to remember that what unifies us is the lordship of Jesus Christ over our lives not uniformity over disputable issues. But Paul doesn't end there. He goes further in helping us pursue unity in the midst of diversity over these disputable issues. And that's what we see here in verses 13 to 23. Now, I can't cover everything in verses 13 to 23, but I want to highlight some truths, some ideas that Paul is articulating in order to help us be unified in Christ despite having deferring convictions and beliefs over disputable issues. So the first thing is this. In order to pursue and sustain unity, love for our brothers and sisters is more important than knowledge. Love for our brothers and sisters is more important than knowledge. Look at verse 13 through to 16. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Now, notice in verse 14, Paul speaks about his knowledge. About his knowledge regarding certain 
things that are clean or unclean. In this specific context, it's regard in regards to food, right? He says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing, that is no food, is unclean in itself. See, right here in verse 14, Paul is expressing his knowledge, his understanding on this specific issue. And he concludes that in the Lord Jesus, nothing is unclean in itself. You see, Paul understood that the Lord Jesus in Mark 7, 19, declared all foods clean, and therefore in the Lord Jesus, he knew that all things were clean. This is the correct way of thinking in regards to food. Here, Paul, in one sense, is claiming that there is, in fact, a right position on this issue, or he has at least a fuller understanding on this disputable issue. He better grasps than some of his weaker brothers and sisters how all things have become clean through Christ. But in that same verse, Paul can then say, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So even though he, he knows that, that all things are clean in Christ, he can literally say it is unclean, though, for anyone who thinks it unclean. Even if the, the proper, fuller, theological position is all things are clean, Paul still has a category for a brother and, or sister whose conscience doesn't allow them to believe that. Now, why is Paul saying this? Well, because one's proper knowledge of a situation doesn't justify you're not walking in love towards your weaker brother or sister. Think about it. Paul could have made his case here in Romans 14 to the weaker Christian that his thinking is wrong over these issue and that he over these issues and that he needs to get with the program. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't give his theological articulation for why the weaker Christian needs to, to get with the program and understand his freedom in Christ. Why? Because he knows there's something more important at stake. And what is it that's more important? It's love for your brothers and sisters in the Lord. See, when, when we have an accurate knowledge um, over a specific issue, it's amazing how we so easily think that's all that matters. And then we think that it's our duty to help every other person have that same knowledge. And because you have that knowledge, you, you conclude that your weaker brother and sister needs to get over their hangups and that, that whatever their opinion is, it's not going to stop you from walking in your freedom and liberty. I know that alcohol is good. And I'm going to drink this glass of wine to the glory of God. And I don't care how that may affect my weaker brother because he's wrong. And he needs to see that there's freedom in Jesus. And so I'm going to drink this glass of wine so he knows that there's freedom in Jesus. Is that the attitude that we're supposed to have? Is that the proper response to our weaker brother or sister? Does our knowledge justify such a response? You see, Paul knows that nothing is unclean, and yet he tells us in verse 13 what the proper response is. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide to never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. 
Paul tells us once again in verse 13 to no longer pass judgment on our brothers and sisters. He's repeated that, I think, three or four times up until this point. And then he tells us that we ought to decide to never. That's strong, lang strong language. To never put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. When Paul refers to um, a stumbling block and hindrance, he's referring to two different things, but they're related. A stumbling block means that you've, you've carelessly left something about which another person stumbles over. You're careless in your living and it causes another person, another brother or sister to stumble. A hindrance has the idea of intentionally ensnaring another person. Now when I think of our church, I, I don't think many in our church are struggling with the idea of hindrance. I don't think anyone in our church is trying to ensnare each other to stumble. But I do think that each of us have the capability and the potential to be careless and to allow and to cause another brother or sister to stumble because we are careless in our conduct. In this context, Paul is telling the stronger Christian to never do such a thing to a weaker brother or sister who has a more sensitive conscience. You see, here in this passage, Paul is demonstrating that love is more important than knowledge. And if you think that's crazy, then let me read for you Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 13 2, which I read for to you earlier. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I have infinite knowledge and have not love, Paul's conclusion of you and God's conclusion of you is that you are nothing. You are nothing. Your knowledge, my knowledge over a disputable issue is nowhere as important as we think it is. If you think your knowledge over a disputable issue allows you to walk in your freedom without any concern towards your weaker brother or sister, then Paul can say to you, you're no longer walking in love. That's precisely what he says in verse 15. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. See, if all you care about is living in your Christian freedom because you know that you're thinking rightly on this issue, Paul concludes, you're no longer wa walking in the love of Christ towards your brother or sister. You might have right understanding, but you have a wrong heart. And not only that, by your actions, you can destroy your brother and sister whom Christ died for. That word destroy that Paul uh, refers to here, it, it carries with it the idea of spiritual ruin. Your careless freedom over disputable issues has the potential to spiritually wound or ruin your weaker brother or sister. And Paul wants to remind us that 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 weaker brother or sister, Christ died for. And by your indifferent, careless conduct, you could potentially bring spiritual ruin to someone's life. And that's why Paul says in verse 15, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And this is why love for your brother or your sister is more important than your knowledge over disputable issues. Even if you're correct 
in your understanding. It doesn't justify you not walking in servanthood love towards your weaker brother or sister. Or if you're the weaker brother or sister and your knowledge is right, you it doesn't justify you walking in any way other than love towards your stronger brother or sister. See, in order to pursue and maintain unity in the midst of diversity, we must choose to never put a stumbling block or hindrance before our brothers or sisters. Secondly, to pursue and maintain unity, we need to focus on the things of the kingdom. Focus on the things of the kingdom. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. You see, getting caught up in heated debates about eating and drinking demonstrates that your focus is off because the kingdom of God isn't a matter of eating and drinking. Allowing these disputable issues to divide us demonstrates we don't have a kingdom focus. Allowing these um, disputable issues to, to wreak havoc in the life of a church demonstrates we don't have a kingdom focus. Because the kingdom is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not about what you eat or drink. It's not about the external things. See, when we allow these disputable issues to be our focus, then we lose sight of kingdom living and pursuing the things of the kingdom. And this is why Paul tells us in verse 19 that we should pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. We ought to pursue that. Let us pursue the things that produce righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. Let us pursue the things of the kingdom of God. That's where our focus should be. That's where our physical, mental, and emotional, and spiritual energy should be placed. And when we pursue one thing, we are always not pursuing another thing. See, I think an important question for each of us to ask and wrestle through is this. Are the things that I focus on and the things that I talk about, are they things that create peace and build up other Christians or are they things that tend to breed division, conflict, and quarreling? If all you ever talk about is why, why Christians should be homeschooling their children, or if all you ever talk about is why Christians should or shouldn't get the vaccine, or if all you ever talk about is politics, or if all you ever talk about is why Christians should eat this way or that way, or, or drink alcohol or not drink alcohol, dare I say, I think you've lost your focus. You're focusing on things that do not make for peace or for mutual upbuilding. Your focus is not the kingdom of God. What will build unity in the midst of our diversity is when each of us choose to devote ourselves to God's kingdom, where we pursue things like righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, in order for us to pursue unity, we must allow love to restrain our freedom. We must allow love to restrain our freedom. In the same way that love is greater than knowledge, so love is greater than our freedom. We must allow love to restrain our freedom. Look at verses 20 to 22. Do not, for the sake of food, 
destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong. It is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Paul says here that allowing disputable issues to consume us can actually destroy the work of God. That's what he says, right? Do not for the sake of food, that is, do not for the sake of this disputable issue, destroy the work of God. You and I have the potential to harm the work of God in another person's life or in the life of a church by how we approach disputable issues. Think about the amount of churches through history that have split over disputable issues. They destroyed the work of God. And that's why, despite Paul knowing that everything is clean, he can say that it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. And it's good to restrain your freedom if it would pre prevent your brother or sister from stumbling. That's what he says in verse 21. It is good. That word good there can literally be translated beautiful. It is beautiful not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. There is something inherently beautiful about restraining your freedom as a Christian if it would mean not causing your brother or sister to stumble. Paul alludes to this idea further in chapter 15, 1-3, where he says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Now, when Paul says failings of the weak here, he's not referring to their sin. He's referring to their wrong thinking over these disputable issues. In other words, for the weak, they think certain food is unclean. And Paul says, no, it's not. In Christ, all things are clean. So when he says the failings of the weak, he's speaking about their wrong understanding. And Paul says here that our job as the stronger Christian, the one who understands that, is not to go out of our way to try to prove and correct that weaker Christian, but rather we as the stronger Christian have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Rather, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. And then he uses Christ as our example for Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. See, this is the gospel way. This is what Christ did for us. He did not come to this earth to please ourselves. He came to please us. And in the same way, we ought to live the Christian life with a desire to please others, not ourselves. Restraining your freedom for the sake of your brother or sister is gospel love. Martin Luther, in speaking to the Christian's freedom, said this, A Christian is a most free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a most free Lord of all, subject to none. But then he says this, a Christian is a most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. You and I as Christians are the most free of all. In Christ, we are completely free. 
And yet at the same time, as Christians seeking to live and follow Christ, we are the most dutiful servant of all, subject to all. This, brothers and sisters, is the attitude and the approach we ought to have toward one another over these disputable issues. Our love for our brothers and sisters is more important than our knowledge over these disputable issues. Focusing and pursuing the, the things of the kingdom will make for peace and mutual upbuilding. Restraining our freedom for the sake of our brother or sister is gospel love. It's the Christian way. There is so much hostility and conflict brewing in our world today, and Christians aren't immune from it. And I really believe that part of the reason is, is because we have lost our focus. We're giving our minds to so many earthly matters, disputable issues, that we have neglected Paul's exhortation to focus our minds and our hearts on things that are above. As he says in Colossians 3, 1-2, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And so here's my plea to all of us, including myself. Don't allow these disputable issues to destroy us. Because they can. Don't allow these disputable issues to, become, to come between you and your brother or sister whom Christ died for. Because they can. It's not worth it. I know with 100% confidence that when eternity comes, we're going to look back and see all the disputes and all the fighting and all the quarreling and all the splits that happened over these silly issues. And we're going to look back and go, what were we thinking? It's not worth it. Let me read to you a part of a letter uh, written by John Newton to a young pastor who loved to get in fights with other Christians. The longer I live the more I see the vanity and the sinfulness of our unchristian disputes. They eat up the very vitals of religion. I grieve to think how often I have lost my time and my temper that way, in presuming to regulate the vineyards of others when I have neglected my own, when the beam of my own eye has so contracted my sight that I could discern nothing but the moat in my neighbors. Could I speak with the publican's words with a proper feeling I wish not for the tongue of men or angels to fight about notions or sentiments. I allow that every branch of gospel truth is precious, that errors are abounding, and that it is our duty to bear an honest testimony to what the Lord has enabled us to find comfort in, and to instruct with meekness such as are willing to be instructed. But I cannot see it my duty, nay, I believe it would be my sin to attempt to beat my notions into other people's heads. Too often I have attempted it in times past, but now I judge that both my zeal and my weapons were carnal. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we come before you, and Lord, we ask that you would give us the humility that is needed to live in this world of conflict. I pray, Lord, that we would truly love our brothers and sisters in such a way that we would not allow our convictions on these disputable issues to 
prevent us from serving and loving and caring for each other. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to refocus our minds and our hearts on the things of the kingdom, to truly pursue things that, that bring about peace and, and for mutual upbuilding and, and bring about joy in the Holy Spirit. And Father, I also pray that you would help us to lay down our rights, so to speak, and to be willing to restrain our freedom in Christ for the sake of serving our brother and sister. Give us the heart of Christ, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.